Hello, this is Joe Bidal, and you're listening to the Extra Crispy Podcast with Crispin Schroeder. Well, it's extra crispy, y'all. Time to get crispy up in here. (laughs) So, today on the podcast, Extra Crispy comes full circle. Some 27 episodes ago, back in the summer of 2017, it seems like such a long time ago, this podcast was born. I had an idea. I wanted to do a podcast, and I wanted to get some interesting people to have conversations with. One of the first people I ever thought of was my friend Joe Badon. Joe Badon is an interesting character, and he's also good to have a conversation with. Some interesting characters are not good to have conversations with. But Joe can talk, and he's interesting. Joe has been an artist for many years. He sells his art down in New Orleans about five nights a week. He's also illustrated numerous comic books that he has written himself. And when we launched this podcast, I called Joe Badon up for the inaugural episode of this podcast. And it was just a few days before Joe was going to begin shooting his first feature-length film called The God Inside My Ear. And now the film's done. I actually got to see it back in February. I had a screening for the cast and crew. And I got to sneak in. And I got to tell you, killer film. Really good. Amazing cinematography, editing, soundtrack, characters. Really cool. Not like most of the movies you would see. Very original. Very cool. And so I thought, you know, I want to get Joe Badon back on here and catch up with him now that the movie's actually done. (laughs) And it turns out, just a, an hour before we sat down for a conversation, Joe Badon found out that he just signed a deal with a distributor for this movie. So with any luck, folks, next few months, you'll be able to check this movie out online or on DVD. Who knows? Maybe even coming to Netflix or something. But you get to hear about it here first. Because Extra Crispy is where you go for the cutting edge stuff, the good stuff. Get it before anybody else does. (laughs) And by the way, before we get into this talk today, you know, I don't ask for much here. I offer this up free of charge. I do painstaking edits, composing music for this podcast, putting stories together, doing interviews, and I love doing it all. And if you enjoy this podcast, just... Press pause for a second. Go over to iTunes and give us some love. Give us five stars. Give us a review. And you can always share this podcast with friends. Because everybody needs a little bit more extra crispy in their life. All right, enough about that. Let's go to this extra crispy conversation with Joe Badon, filmmaker, director, writer of The God Inside My Ear.
last time you were here, you had just, I think, shot the film. You hadn't even gotten into edit. No, I don't we hadn't even, think even shot the film. Yet. It was like a few days before you began shooting it. Yeah, yeah. We just we were just about to start shooting, and I remember because you asked me what the budget was, and I said four grand. <laughs> it ended up being a little under ten grand, so I undershot the budget a little bit. But uh, but yeah, we're done with shooting. We're done with editing. Uh, it's gone through its festival run, and now we just literally an hour ago signed a contract uh, for a distribution deal. So does that mean it's coming to theaters, or is it'll that be coming to Netflix, Blu-ray, DVD, Amazon, you know, iTunes, all that sort of stuff? Awesome, dude! So, yeah, I mean, it'll be shopped around to Netflix and Hulu and stuff yeah. like that, but you know, we'll see if they pick it up. Yeah. That's got to be a whole other world. Exactly. I don't know how that works <laughs> at all. So I remember when we, when I saw the screening, I, I guess that was a long time ago, yeah. several months back. February? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned during the screening that the shooting of the movie was like two weeks. The editing was six months. Six months, yeah. That's that right. was obvious. Man, the editing on that. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, Joseph Estrade, our editor was just he he literally hurt his neck he worked so long in front of the <laughs> computer screen god bless joseph <laughs> but uh he like uh had to go to the chiropractor and stuff because he was trying to get it done for the screening our cast and crew screening and he was just working like his last few days was just like 24 hours a day practically or something crazy oh, so man. But he got it done, and yeah. But six months of editing—it's crazy. And then talking to other filmmakers—that's just the way it goes. Yeah, you know, it's an exorbitant amount of time editing. Well, there's so there's so much. I think in the you know your film is not um, terribly linear, or you know, there's certainly a lot of um, surrealist psychedelic imagery that that. yeah, that, that probably lends itself to massive editings. <laughs> that's yeah, that's where like the the bulk of the time went. You know, it wasn't just like a uh a dialogue driven drama where you're just going to sit around and talk, you know, it was a lot of weird cuts and and uh lots of kind of after effects and things like that that we had to do with there was probably about five psychedelic quote-unquote scenes, yeah. you know that we had to edit together and those are where it's things slowed down. And then also I had like specific editing requests in some scenes that made it slower. Like, um, it was something that me and the editor went, Joseph went back and forth on it and he was weary about it first, but ended up being like the highlight of the film. And, and what we would do, there are certain scenes where it was just all one take, where it was just the camera man, uh, Daniel Waghorn, our cinematographer, just following uh, our main actress around, like a room or something. And I wanted it to be, give it more of a pop of of chaos, yeah. you know? And so we shot, the, we would shoot a scene two or three times at the most because we were shooting so fast. And so I said, well, let's just lay these shots on top of each other and then edit from one shot to the to the next. They're pretty much all the same shot, but it would just be all these kind of like subtle uh, uh, jump cuts back and forth from 
from one um, shot of the, of the scene to another shot of the scene. I mean, they all looked kind of the same, but it gave this real chaotic feel. And so things like that slowed down the editing where yeah. he had to like piece it all together and make it look right, but it ended up coming off fantastic. So, And it's kind of hard to explain until you actually watch it. Yeah. So talking about movies on a, on a podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love the, yeah, I, I know on the, the God inside my ear, uh, on your website, you've got a, a little, you got a clip between, oh, what is it? The blind date, Elsa's oh. blind date, man. That, that's a fantastic scene. Yes. Um, that's another editing slowdown right there. Yeah. Well, that was, I love the movie, um, Thomas Crown Affair with um what's his name steve mcqueen yeah and in that movie there's tons of inserts there's tons of like uh uh shots all on the screen at the same time in little insert frames and so i want a split screen sort of stuff and so i wanted to do something similar with that scene because the scene if you just edit it normally it'd be a just a dinner scene it'd be kind of boring but I was like, I wanted to do something different there. And I love the split screen effect. So I was like, well, let's split screen this. Because in that scene, the jazz date, as we call him, he's talking about jazz and he starts talking about uh, tarot cards and the meaning of life. And he starts laying down tarot cards on the table and you have a shot of his hands laying down the tarot cards. So we did a split screen where you have, you can see the jazz date, you can see the main character, Lysia, and the the date's hands putting the cards down on the table all at the same time in the shot. And it's, it's a fun little scene with jazz music underneath it. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Jazz, true jazz. You see, jazz is like life. Unpredictable, out of the blue, sporadic. Then how do you deal with life that is? You deal by dealing with what you're dealt. Let me lay this down. Say you're dealt the sun. You dance it. Say you're dealt the fool. You chastise it. You're dealt the king of swords. You fight it. Say you're dealt death. What? What do you do? Well, you either redeal or you embrace it. <laughs> Either way, it's coming for us all in the end. Speaking of death, you ever seen a man die? You know in the movies when you strangle someone, it only takes them seconds to kill him? <laughs> seconds? Well, it's not that simple. You see, you gotta squeeze real hard. So hard it hurts the hands and the eyes roll up and the throat gurgles. It's hard. It's real horror. It changes a man. The the TV show um, Fargo season two yes, was just they did a lot of split Noah Hawley. I I'd never really heard his name before, yes. but boy, it, yeah, that that was so effective in that and just so good. Just adds a a very very cool thing because you don't use the split screens a whole lot, but no. but when you use them, boy, that it, it, it's yeah. very impactful. And I think it, we did it twice in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh no. Would you I'm, mind putting your phone behind you? Because I I am getting a little 
weirdness. It just threw the mic cables. Is Thank that you. better? That's better. All right. Sweet. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just such a big fan of like 60s and 70s. Yeah. And so there's lots of split screen action there. Yeah. Noah Hawley, though, has been putting out so much cool stuff. Like Legion. Have you seen his? Oh, yeah. Seen Legion is incredible. Talk about a surreal psychedelic. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I'm just watching the show and I'm going, oh, I know that movie that he got that idea from. I know that movie he got that that idea from. So he's obviously a fan of that kind of stuff too, which is really cool. Well, I'm I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. Yes. And like, it's neat that like you you could kind of, like he he nailed the Coen Brothers aesthetic and and kind of quirkiness of the Totally, especially the the first season. Yeah was like just totally nailed the Coen brothers feel. Yeah. Which that's yeah. a that's a that's a difficult thing to to be able to step into somebody else. I mean somebody that iconic. <laughs> oh, and, absolutely. And, and not <laughs> and not feel like you're ripping it off either. Right, right. Or you're not paying it enough homage or whatever. No, it did he did really well. So speaking of the the, the Eliza's blind date scene, so there's yes. there's some jazz jazz music going on in the background, which you know, it, I I know there have been some comparisons I've seen in the reviews and of, you know, kind of uh, very much a David Lynch influence, sure. which I'm, I'm sure you, you would per- be perfectly fine with that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that, that scene kind of, it really, I think that's one thing that, that I, I really liked about the, the film is that it does, it did kind of remind me in the sense of like, some of David Lynch's stuff, like, like particularly even Twin Peaks, where oh, you yeah. have these characters that are kind of uh, very quirky. Um, I don't know what the word would be. Yeah, quirky would, <laughs> would be right. Sure. Yeah, unstable. A but the, bit. yeah, but it, it it's it's a it's an interesting kind of interplay because you've got this chaotic jazz, you know, jazz stuff going on in yes. the background. What should be like the, just a date, and but it it has this very dark feel going on there. And yeah, totally. Well, and that's totally Twin Peaks. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because when we were a, like pre production, I had a lot more ideas to do more Jallo type of music, which is like um, uh, Suspiria and deep red and and dario argento sort of soundtrack and once we got done with filming and looked at the footage i was like this is a lot quirkier yeah than i even really uh, i imagined it to be quirky but it was even quirkier than i imagined so i was like you know this needs more of a jazz score I think. yeah you know and uh and so it just fit really well and it's funny that scene with the date that we're referencing was um I found a guy on freesound.org who had just play just gave away recordings of him blowing the sax his saxophone just with nothing else just him blowing yeah. the saxophone he said he just giving away for free and it's just him just going yeah. and then <laughs> perfect and yeah and I was like all right cool and then I just put a drum beat behind it and then I just played um uh, in garage band i played the bass with my little midi controller just doom, 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 yeah. doom, doom, and it just worked perfect <laughs> it's so easy to to really make up free yeah. jazz and it's so fun <laughs> i know i know jazz artists would you know would be like no it's not easy it kind of is and, <laughs> and, and it's really fun that's why i love doing it yeah you know? so 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 you composed i, I mean obviously you, you I sax, yeah, cut with, and paste, cut and paste. <laughs> but you did the soundtrack for the most part of the of the film. I mean, I about guess you had a few twenty for 
20, 25% I did. Uh -huh. And then I had uh, some of my friends, either online friends or friends actually, you know, in the flesh friends, uh, Michael Walworth and Brian John Mitchell and JB Sapienza and a bunch of guys that I'm sure I'm not going to remember everybody's name right now. Um, just guys that I knew and that were friends of mine and that I knew were musicians. And I said, you know, if you got anything, you know, I, w I would love for you to, you know, contribute. So people would send me music and then I would, there's one website called freemusicarchive.org of people giving away their music, either for free or for like, um, you have to give them, you know, like, um, at con attribution, you know, sort of thing which is fine. And so I, on that website, I probably listened to four or 5,000 songs. Like, and wow. I say like 10 to 15 seconds of sure. each song, you know, I just go to the next one. Okay. Go to the next one. And, and found some really cool music off that site. And we whittled from that. We whittled down to like 200 songs. And then we whittled down from that to about 40 songs that we used in the soundtrack. So, wow. Yeah. Dang. There was a lot of just digging. You know, I could have gotten one guy to do the soundtrack, but from the beginning, I wanted it to have almost like a mixtape by your crazy friend sort of feel, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, that guy, he listens to all the weird music and he gave me a mixtape and that's what I wanted it to feel yeah. like because it give it more of a schizophrenic sort of tone, yeah. you know, so. Well, it succeeded. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. So. So. So I guess the for you the the scenes came before the music. The scenes kind of inspired the musical direction more than the music inspiring the scenes. Um it was, yeah, for the most part there was one scene in particular where I I had thought of the music and then in the middle of shooting we kind of came up with a scene based on a song by um what's the name of the band? Agents of Future. Do you know that band? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I reached out to him. I said, can we use uh, this song? And he was like, absolutely, you know. And I think I, we did a trade, like I drew a, or going to draw a picture for him or something like that, So because I'm an illustrator. But um, so anyway, so this song, Sewn in My Skin uh, by them. And I was like, this song would be perfect in the movie. And I thought, oh, okay, I, I know what I, I had visualized already. And so I remember telling everybody, listen, we're going to do, we're going to throw confetti, like in this scene and this scene and this scene, and we're going to have you ride on a motorcycle. And and uh, and no one even knew what I was like in my head, what I wanted to do. They were just like, all right, sure, we'll film that. <laughs> and then, but I already, and it's funny because then when we got to editing and then we put the song in there with the, with the visuals of slow motion confetti, I was like, "Holy crap! It actually worked!" Wow! Like, <laughs> so I wasn't sure if it was going to work. So sometimes you get these ideas in your head, and then you finally like get to editing, and you put the music with the with the piece with the visual piece, and you're like, "Oh no, that's not going to work." And that happened a lot, where I ended up having to go back and find new music. And about a third of the way through the movie. I just, we finally figured out workflow, me and my editor, and we get to a new scene. And he, Joseph, my editor, had done a lot of music videos mm -hmm. before this. So he loved editing to music. Ah. And so he many times wanted the music before we actually edit. And so 
I would go, okay, I know this scene and I know how it plays out. So I kind of know what I want. So I would end up looking for songs and find like two or three or four songs and send it to him. And then he would figure out the song that worked best with with the scene. And then he would pick that song and then edit it to it. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, so it was fun. got started in this had you ever done any film stuff before no no <laughs> I, oh well i had done <laughs> i had done storyboards for films yeah, okay. but i had never done any actual you know creating my own piece at all no so, so. what was the actual experience versus how you might have imagined it would have gone like like the, the you know reality versus what you thought it might be on the front side um you know, I kind of like went at it like I had because I had done comic books before. Yeah. You know, and so on the front side, I went at it like I'm just drawing a long comic book. So I did the storyboards, illustrated all the storyboards. And I was like, as long as we shoot all these shots that I illustrated, then we'll have the entire film. And so I was kind of looking at it like getting all the coverage. And so when we went to filming that's all I really was concerned about um and so the last thing I was even thinking is like you know actors asking me how do I get into this actor's mind or you know what I'm saying and so <laughs> the the best the best part about it was is it's mainly centered around one actor actress who is in most of the film Linnea is Greg is you know main actress and she really took the part seriously so she she really did a lot of homework. She invested herself in the character. She wrote a backstory for the character. So like she didn't have any questions. She knew this wow. she knew this the character better than I did. So that really helped, you know. Now had she ever acted in films before this? Or she had done some short films Trump's- and she had uh she had done a ton of theater work since she was mm. even a kid. Okay. So she you know, so she had she was a veteran in some yeah. ways. So Wow. So what was the biggest challenge for you going through this process that you might not have seen coming? Uh, God, there was like every hurdle has been like a crazy <laughs> challenge. I think the biggest challenge was like kind of figuring out that it's making a movie isn't as big of like of of an, of an asset as it used to be when, when I was growing up, you know, when we were in high school, you know, you would hear about some rogue filmmaker, make a movie like Robert Rodriguez or, you know, Kevin Smith, and they would get 
a huge deal because because they finished a film yeah they could actually make a profit off of it <laughs> you know and so back when you could make money off of making albums too <laughs> right it's exactly right you if you make any sort of creative product back then it was actually like kind of a big deal because it was harder to do yeah you know to make something that looked professional now it's not hard you know yeah. everybody can make an album off their off their laptop and you can make a movie with with a camera you buy at walmart yeah you know and so it's just not the same game anymore so i was kind of expecting a little more of uh of of a bite with the fishes of distributors and it was mm. it was not that way so it was a yeah. lot harder game to play than i expected and there was you know there was no celebrities in the movie so nobody was like i don't you know it doesn't matter how good this movie is there's no celebrities yeah. in this movie you know and also things like sundance and and cons are not the way they used to be you know i was talking to some old filmmakers that are like look you know cons used to be free to enter and like it wasn't as hard to get in now they're they have like thousands like literally probably tens or hundreds of thousands of submissions a year wow you know i mean like this the, the conventions that i was submitting to were little bitty baby conventions yeah and they would get 3,500 4,000 submissions really and, yeah dang yeah so it shows you how oversaturated the game is yeah you know it just wasn't that way before yeah and so you know i wasn't never been in the game so i just kind of thought the old way you know sure so, wow so that was probably the biggest obstacle you know Is it biographical? Is she is she is she a version of Joe Joe Badon? Yeah, <laughs> in a way, in a yeah, way, for yeah. sure. You know, just um, the original idea for the story was something I had for years, where it was this kind of hero's journey that was look this character looking for the meaning of life. Yeah, and they look for the meaning of life in relationships, and they look for the meaning of life in, in drugs and in religion and in psychics and psychotherapy and all these different things. And then in the end, they find that the only thing that's really real is them standing before the creator as a child. Mm. And so that was the idea, 
you know, behind the story. Um, and then, um, going from there, I kind of, I, I had, I love the movie, um, Carnival of Souls and that is an old public domain movie from the sixties. And, um, I kind of used my original idea and then wrapped it inside of a similar plot to Carnival of Souls. So this is kind of an updated version of that movie. Okay. In a way. And so, and then just went from there and then, then just started kind of cherry picking like things from my favorite movies and just kind of using them in the movie. You yeah. Know? So it, it really does even kind of, I find looking at the world around us and how chaotic everything is and where people are, are looking to all these different things, whether it's psychotherapy or drugs or religion uh, or politics, people are just losing their shit nowadays. Yeah. And I think it, it really speaks to the context that we're living in, in, in kind of a way that is very profound, you know? Yeah. Thank you. We, it's funny too, because people are so like, scared of talking about spirituality yeah. nowadays, you know, cause you either look at, you either look like a flake or you look like uneducated or some, yeah. you know, bullshit. And you know, we're, we're very spiritual creatures. Yeah. We are no matter what people can call themselves atheists or, you know, and that's fine, whatever you want to call yourself. But you still do things that are spiritual things. You still, yeah. You're still like burning incense to get rid of like the bad energy in the room or you're <laughs> or you're doing some sort of meditations or you or you're you know, you're going to some sort of retreats or you're doing something that is it really is a spiritual ritual that you're doing. And so, you know, I just didn't want to be afraid to talk about those things. Yeah. You know, and it's definitely definitely pisses off a lot of people too. I've I've gotten definitely a lot of strong reactions. You know? Really? Yeah, just because, um, you know, I one person uh, one person reviewed it and said it was conservative of uh, propaganda, which I thought was what? pretty funny. <laughs> uh, mainly because it was uh, talking about this guy, the the this male and female relationship, and how there should be no more you know, gender stereotypes. It's just like, you know, there still are male and female relationships, you know? Yeah. So this is not like, we're not living in 20, 29, 29, where there's, you know, there's, there still are like, you know, those, those kind of dichotomies. And I think the one thing that, that people miss a lot of the times with this film is that they think it's just about a breakup, a bad yeah. breakup. And that's just the, the catalyst for this character to, to look for meaning in life. Yeah. You know, and there, and it really is true. A lot of us will look for meaning in our relationships in yeah. our significant other relationships. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's part of things. That's part of our life journey, you know, but you know, it's not, it's not all of it. And, yeah, you know, so. Well, and 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 I think even as, as far as the journey for for meaning, you know, 
I was thinking about this even the other day. Like, I mean, if you take about if you take out all the songs that have been written about either falling in love or breakups, I mean, you don't have much left. <laughs> you know? Yeah. God. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and and how that, you know, oftentimes that is the catalyst for seeking meaning. I mean, that that is that kind of hurt. Yeah. That kind of pain is is unlike the pain of losing your job or experiencing a natural natural disaster because yeah. there's some there's much more of a connection there and yeah. um and I think it's interesting even in the film you know the the breakup the the the, the guy that breaks up with her is getting into some kind of cult kind of thing so sure. it's like you you already have kind of the even the the religious side kind of. In, in, in there from the beginning too, you know, um, absolutely. I'm seeing the, the people who grew up in evangelical churches, who went to true love weights, who went to uh, yeah. all these different things. And, and they've got some real, real baggage, you know I mean? That, 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 that has been revealed over time. And, and there's, there's this, I, I see people struggling through that. And then, then, and a lot of people who just, well, okay, well there's, this, this all hurt too bad. I'm just going to reject it all. And then they're just kind of left with this kind of nihilism, yeah. which doesn't answer anything either. You know, no, it, doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. And well, and I think that's another thing too, that I would, uh, that I wanted, I couldn't, you can't really say in 97 minutes, totally because like the film you can't really answer everything or because the movie is fairly vague and I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be more poetic where everybody comes up with their own ideas. Yeah. But I, I'm not really against any. I'm not against a relationship. I love my wife with all my heart. Like that's my soulmate, you know. Um, and I'm not re- against religion. I'm not against you know any of these things. Uh, but many times we we take one thing and we put our all our eggs in that one basket, or we we like become idealistic about this one thing. Yeah, you know. And so, and when it comes down to it, I kind of feel like whatever gets you through the day, like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know, if you need a little bit of this or a little bit of that, you need a little bit of drugs, a little bit of psychotherapy, if you need a little bit of things to get you through the day, that's, yeah, it's totally great. But when we start attaching, like, um, when we start attaching, like, idealistic like final finality to like, this is the way that we should do things and no other way works, mm. you know, is when we run into problems, yeah. you know, because religion will let you down. Relationships will let you down, Yeah, you know, and when they do and you, all you're doing is focusing on that one thing, your whole world is destroyed, you know? And when we just go and when we just go to God by ourselves with no one else, then there's no blaming a religion for what what he did to us. There's no blaming a relationship for what he did to us or any of those things. We can just go to our loving creator, you know? So, You know, a few episodes ago, I interviewed a guy named uh, Scott Erickson. I don't know if you're, he's an artist. Uh, okay. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he did those little wood cuttings up there, I think, behind you. Um, okay. Nice. Anyway. As you can see it on the <laughs> yes. podcast. <laughs> but he had said something that, that I, I just, it really stuck with me. He was actually referencing a book written by this guy, Jonathan Merritt, 
who I'm actually going to have on the podcast in a few weeks, but talking about how disillusionment, it, we, we look at disillusionment as like a bad thing, but how it's really a good thing, oh, you know, so that, good. Yeah. that because what happens in disillusionment is you separate reality from illusion, but, but it's a, it's a hard and painful thing to, to admit that, okay, everything I hope this other person would be, or, or that are my views of, of marriage or my views of the church or my views of whatever that they were based on an illusion and actually coming to a point where you can separate reality from the illusion. And, and, but that, you know, I mean, in a sense, that's, that's what takes courage. Like, okay, you see things how they are now and yet you will still courageously engage with them and, and, you yeah. Know. Yeah. And and I think so much of the stuff in our world today that, that people are fighting over. I mean, it's just it's 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 one version of an illusion <laughs> versus another. Absolutely. And we defend it like to the death. Like, yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's either it's funny cuz you're either like you have an allegiance or you're like jaded. Yeah. And, and that's it. And then there's something in between all that mm-hmm. where you're just being a realist. You know, not a jaded realist. Yeah. But like um, a, a loving, forgiving realist, maybe. Yeah. You know, that is very hard. <laughs> it is. And but I, it's like the only path to take. It is. And I, and I think there is part of that path when you become disillusioned with, with stuff in life that you, you do get cynical for a bit. You do. Sure. Because, uh, you know, this... <laughs> Not my beautiful life. This is, this <laughs> right. is not what I was thinking. Right. But boy, then I think that's been one of the biggest wake up calls to me over the years. It's like what I've been prone to, you know, just dealing with my own baggage with the church and stuff. Like just, I can see like, dude, if you stay on this path, you're going to become like the cynical old guy that is just bitter and resentful. Yeah. And like that, like, so you've rejected one form of, of, of hurt, but that's that's hell as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, being in church, they they sell you like um they sell you definites. Mm-hmm. They you know, yeah. like if you pray and seek the Lord, then you'll get this and this and you'll be healed and you'll be set free and and God then, you know, you go years and years and you're like none of this works the way I was told it worked. You know, I'm not healed in this area. My things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, you see God move, but it's not anyway the way you expected Him to move. Yeah. And you always hear that in church as well, because it's like their way of like defending. Yeah. Every God's oh, ways are all, higher. <laughs> all the promises they told you, all the yeah. because it's basically like they really are selling you a used car in a way. They really are like coming in and saying, this is going to work for you. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. And you get in there and the AC doesn't work and you're going crazy, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And, and you know, to, to come, I think that the, the, my biggest journey lately is realizing that it's, it's just about, us loving one another. It's something that has been like coming, always going back. I'm always going back to that. Um, like Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. 
love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, that's it. He said, that's really it. And when we, when we stray from just that, when we get into any rules, any regulations, it starts, we start getting let down, you know. But if we can just, just focus on that, it's, that was like the big thing. That's why, that's why he wanted, they wanted to crucify him. Because they wanted, he wanted to get rid of all these rules and regulations. He wanted to get rid of the power of the, of the synagogues Mm -hmm. and the power of, of these religious politicians. He wanted to say, look, if y'all just are all good to each other. Yeah. (laughs) And that drove him crazy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if, if any church if any preacher would just say that and be like, none, nothing else matters. First of all, he might not have much of a very big church <laughs> and he'd probably test to that. <laughs> right. And he'd probably be kicked out. He might be kicked out of his, of his religion yeah. that he's in be it for heresy, mm. you know? And so, um, yeah, when you start questioning, well, what is hell? Well, you start questioning, does hell really exist? Do you if you if you start start going, you know, maybe this is a loving God mm. that 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 doesn't care about all the the little bitty uh, the little bitty minutia of your life, you know? Maybe he doesn't care if you if you date someone of your same sex or if you have sex before marriage. Or maybe he doesn't maybe all those things don't really matter when you won't feed the poor. You know, or when you, you won't take in refugees or when you, you won't help your neighbor because that, that neighbor is a Muslim or that neighbor doesn't go to, goes to the church across town that we don't like. Yeah. You know, those are the big things, you know, I mean, the Bible talks about it a lot. Yeah. You know, talks about what are, what is the right fast? You know, the, the, the fast is to, 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 to forgive. The fast is, you know, the fast is to love, but, but the fast you've chosen is the, is all the things that you can, that you can do. You can, you know, stop eating meat or you can stop, you know, drinking this and, and that's what religion is, you know, in a nutshell. And the, the frustrating part is, is the church will have the church has two mouths and it talks that game mm. but then it gives everybody all these rules yeah you know and so they cover their asses really well mm. you know well so. and i i think that you know it's interesting i mean even looking at jesus in the in the new testament the the pharisees they weren't content with the, you know, I don't know, 400 and something laws of the Old Testament. They came up with a whole, like 200 more laws yeah. on top of that. Yeah. And like, that's always, I, I think anytime you see that going on, whether it's in, in politics or universities or religion, where God. you just start adding more and more rules. Yeah. How, how easy it, I, I think the inclination for rules is actually an, an avoidance of those two simple ideas because it's like the more you can focus on all these these kind of boundary issues, the more you don't have to look at like 
Oh God. Like yeah. love and, yeah. and loving, loving God. You know, you have excuses why, you know, well, well, what is, you know, like the people that heard Jesus, you know, well, who is my neighbor? You know, <laughs> give right. me a definition. How many times right. do I have to forgive? And Jesus's answer was always more times than you care to, to, to know. Yeah. And, and it's, and, and it isn't just love your neighbor. It's love your enemy. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I, I get why we want the rules because that's a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it really is. But what Loving if... your enemy. Exactly. That's huge. What what if you know for for those who who you know are the, the fundamentalist crowd that is so uh, tempted to to just kind of take the Bible as you know just authoritative across the board you know it's like well what if you took seriously what Jesus said like the law and the prophets are based on these two commandments right. like like what if we took that literally and said okay love God love your neighbor as yourself like. Right. If we actually took that literally, but nobody right. actually <laughs> no, advocates no. for that. And if you read in between the lines, you can see that what he's saying is they put all these other stipulations in place just to cover their asses for this thing. So yeah. it's like, well, one, so he's like saying, if you take away all the stipulations, this is it. And that's it. Yeah. You know, because so many people will go, you know, okay, I understand that, you know, but, but then Jesus said, then you know, not one jot or tittle of the law will be taken away. Well, then you don't eat pork, don't eat, don't yeah. eat shrimp. You know, it's abomination. <laughs> you know, there's a ton of shit that you are doing that yeah. is breaking some serious Old Testament laws. You know, yeah. And so, like, if you want to do that, then then go for it. And there is that sect, that messianic, yeah, you know, sect of Christianity. That God and they're still breaking all sorts of laws. I know because I know some of those guys, and it's like, come on, guys, y'all yeah. aren't doing everything right, you know, at all. <laughs> you know, you're just adding more things that you can and can't do. And and the thing is, is that you know, it talks about how we need to enter into the rest of the Lord. Like that's what we should be like seeking is ent- enter into His rest, mm. and that's the rest from works. Yeah, you know. And if we don't enter into that rest, then we've fallen from grace. Yeah. And, you know, it seems very simple. (laughs) You know? It really does. Uh, There ain't no money in that, though. (laughs) There really is. (laughs) And I feel for you as a pastor. I really do. Because it's hard when you preach a message like that. I mean, because, like, when was the last time I came to church? Yeah. You know, and I was going to your church. I wanted to talk to you about that today, Joe. Uh, <laughs> right, really, exactly. the reason I brought That's you here is kind of an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> there half the church steps out the back. No, uh, but you know when. But that's the thing, you know. If you look, what a shepherd does is he shepherds someone yeah. to go then be released. You know. Yeah. The baby, the 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 baby bird gets pushed out of the nest to go fly on their own. Yeah, and that's what that's what a true shepherd's heart is, you know, is is to create people that have freedom, mm-hmm. you know, not people that are then in bondage to them, which is like such a temptation, mm. because because God, you got bills to pay. Oh yeah, you know, you you got a, you got a rent to meet. You know, yeah, and this this 
the way church is set up is very set up for that kind of septic situation. Yeah, totally. And it's a shame that it is because churches should be such a place of freedom. You know, like I always love what well, my wife more than me loves watching like uh, documentaries on cults. Yeah, <laughs> and and the beginning of cults are always amazing. Like there's so much freedom. The these kids are coming and having spiritual experiences. Did you see that one uh, Wild Wild Country? Oh, ama- that was a crazy one. Yeah, it's like the first crazy. first two episodes is like. I would totally join that. Yes, <laughs> almost every every uh, the uh, every uh, documentary or or thing you read about cults is like that. Yeah, and they're a microcosm of what what the church is. Yeah, they you know, and what what it is is there's all this freedom, there's all this excitement, people are having genuine spiritual experiences, and then we got to keep them. Yeah. You know, and that's when the that's when all the bad things start happening. Yeah, you know, and so and so the 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 church, you know, like Jesus said, I'm the gate, and the sheep can go in and out. Yeah, and there's something about that when true Christianity is about going in and having experiences and going out and being free, and then going mm-hmm. in and having experiences going out and being free, and that's exciting. Yeah, you know, so. I, I I had a guest on here a few months back. This guy Brad Jerzak, who uh, he wrote a book. The first book I ever read from him was called uh, "Her Gates Will Never Be Shut," and he's talking about this this passage in, at the end of Revelations when like God's kingdom has come to earth and stuff. But it's like somehow I'd missed it all the years uh, that I'd read it before. But it's like you know when New Jerusalem is finally here, it says there's people living outside the city. There's people in the city, but it's like the gates of the city are never shut. Like there's, there's always this right flow like, back and forth. Yeah. So it's, it's, I, I think we tend to imagine God as this control freak as, as you know, right. like kind of divine determinism, like God's playing a chessboard and, and it's okay. Well, there's no free will whatsoever. Right. Or, um, that God is like, like you said earlier, just, just so concerned with the minutia and the detail. And so it's like, you, right. you know, you live in this kind of bondage, like, always insecure like you know can but the pictures we see in jesus the pictures we even see when when the whole kingdom comes it's like you know, god seems to care more about relationship than any of those things absolutely and god's not going to coerce god's not going to manipulate there's a passage in the book of psalms that says you know if, if, even you know wherever i go i'll find your, your presence there even if i make my bed in hell like there right. you will be and it's uh i think that I think there is that sense with with in all of us where we 
I think part of that's based on our view of God, you know, where we feel like we have to control people and control situations. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but certainly that, that kind of authoritarian thing and, and there's ego and all kinds of that stuff that gets in there. I mean, you see these cults like, yeah, like the, yeah. the, 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 the Rajneeshis, you know what I mean? Like they're, I mean, they had very talented, smart people. These weren't like people on the fringes of society. These right. were like lawyers and architects and they were, they were building like this utopia and they yeah. were, they cared for one another and they, yeah. they started off nonviolent. Right. <laughs> right. Until <laughs> they, right. they, they, they crossed that, that threshold and, and kind of went in the other direction. My first 10 years of, of being in the, you know, very evangelical churches, how much of that was trying to protect you from all the bad things out God. there. And so, yes. you know, like I was a college pastor at, at SLU back in the late nineties and like the worst kids in the world were those who like grew up just completely sheltered, completely in church, just completely in Christian schools. Yes. And then it's like, they, they show up into this whole world. They've, they've never had to, they've never had to actually talk about anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. They've been told all these answers. They've been protected. And it's like, I, I think there is something, I think that's one of the beautiful pictures of Jesus, like on, as a shepherd, like a, a shepherd. Yeah. They, they protect the sheep from the wolves. Right. They don't protect the sheep from everything. And the, wow. and the, you know, there, there's yeah. this kind of open handed kind of thing with it that it's destructive. It's destructive in society, but I think a lot of the, the church culture in America has right. actually contributed to that. So absolutely. And also trying to entertain you. Yeah. You know, I mean, you go from, uh, children's church to youth group and it's just youth groups just an extension of children's church mm-hmm. and then you see adult church being just an extension of youth group yeah and then everybody's just getting look at these videos and look at these look we're gonna do a stage performance we got a comedian this week yeah. and and it's just all it's it's going from every direction like look we don't want you to watch any anything bad on television we don't want you to go out to to any bars so we're gonna have like this coffee house thing where we're gonna have entertainment and we're gonna try to yeah and it's just like <laughs> trying to tap dance and control you at the same time yeah. and god it's it's such a a, a dysfunctional situation you it know? is <laughs> well i i think you look at like even the parable of the prodigal son you know what i mean like in evangelical churches, it's always focused on the prodigal son, but really the, the, the one who's really lost is not the guy who went out there and blew his whole, you know, inheritance on women and, and drinking. Right. And it's, it's the older brother. Right. That's, that's the point of Jesus's story. Like you guys are so like, you're already in the house. You're right. already in the father's house and you're bitter, resentful, jealous. Right. And yes. you're just, you're, you're more lost than the guy yes. who was eating the pig food over here at the right. most des- point, desperate point in his life. <laughs> Right, exactly. And it just shows you like there what's the point of 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 trying to to like uh of all these quote unquote righteous things that you're supposed to not be doing and you're supposed to be yeah. doing. There's there's not a point to be following all these things. There's a point to be forgiving and loving yes. and you know, loving your enemy and those things. 
which are like the least on the things that things things (laughs) talked about is like, how short is your skirt? And you know, (laughs) make sure, are you, you got a penis and you are a boy, you're not going to call yourself a girl. And you know, do you have, it's like all these things are what they're concerned about. It's like all these things that it, what shows you, what it should show you is when the prodigal son came, they didn't recount all the things he did. They didn't sit down and say, look, this, you know, you spent your money on this whore this week and you spent yeah. your money on gambling this week. And they just say, hey, you're back. Let's have a party. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. You know? And he could have left and came back again. It would have been another party. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. And so, so what does that show you? That that's all this stuff doesn't matter. You know? I was thinking about this this morning, you know, like, like when it comes to, to, to faith, to belief right. in something, I think the problem for most people when it comes to faith, they just parrot whatever faith they grew up with, Yes, but it's not anything they've actually experienced. Right. Because it is one thing to experience God. It that is nice. one thing to experience love. It's one thing to experience what it is like to actually forgive somebody who's hurt you or to be given forgiven for something someone that that you've wronged yeah it is one thing to experience these aspects versus just intellectually parroting an idea i mean that's i think that's one of the things i mean even in politics right now it's like yeah. i've i've become I, i've just seen over the years like it's it's so easy to have an opinion on the immigrant caravan or on, on, uh, you know, issues involving the LGBT community or on, on gun control or whatever, when you've never even faced the reality for which you've had an opinion, yeah, you know? And, and, and I think that's the, you know, looking at the prodigal son, it's like, well, you've got the older brother who I followed all the, I've done hard work for you all these years and you never had a barbecue for me. Right. (laughs) Right. The father's like, dude, you can, you can have a barbecue anytime you want. <laughs> you know, so, so it, you it, can have a barbecue every day, every day, every day, every day. But there's something I think in, in both of those, those examples that, you know, the, the prodigal son on one end, like has actually experienced desperation, right? Has actually experienced kind of bottoming out experience like the downside of, yeah, you know, you sure. Whereas yep. the older brother, he's got opinions on all these things, but he's never actually even left the house, and he's never even entered into the reality <laughs> that's right there. Right. You know? Yeah. And totally. I, I find when I'm tempted to have an opinion on something now, I, I really do, I'm trying more and more to find people that are actually experiencing that reality mm-hmm. so that I can actually dialogue. So, that's so good. That, that even if I, I don't know what it's like to be an immigrant. Right. Maybe I can find somebody who does talk to an immigrant and talk to an immigrant. Yeah, and and let my let my beliefs be influenced by that a little bit. Yeah, you know, talk when 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 the police shootings, you know, of of black people and, and around the nation, you know, have some conversations with my black friends. Right. Also, have some conversations There's with my police, police friends. Yeah, you know, absolutely. like I have no idea. I've yep. never. Sh- I mean, I've shot a gun before, but I. Right. Nobody was in danger. <laughs> I, right. I've not served in the military. Right. I've not served in law enforcement, nor have I ever been inclined to. Right. Uh, I don't know what it's like to be pulled over, but for the color, color of my skin. Right. 
But I, I think the more that we can be honest about the things that we have no clue about and just True. admit that and just say, you know, if I don't know somebody, maybe I can find some people that do know something about this from yeah. their experience. And yeah, it's true. That's good. What you got coming up? You, I know you, you you've been working on uh, yeah I some got, other scripts. I got another script called Sister Tempest, and we're working on the uh, concept art for it. And we're talking to some uh, you know some people to try to get some fundraising for it. You know you know looking at some st- studios and things like that. So we'll see, we'll see. You know these are these kind of things can drag on for a while. Yeah, trying to get a studio or an investor to actually give you money for something like this. Which you're probably going to need that this time around, huh? You, Absolutely. you called in a lot of favors. On the last I did. Movie. I'm not self-funding another movie, <laughs> you know, definitely not. You know, somebody's going to have to, you know, like, you know, um, give me some money for it. Also, you know, everybody worked on it for free last time. I don't want to like always be asking everybody to work yeah. for free. If you'd have paid an actual budget, it, it probably would have been a lot more expensive, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we spent a little under 10 grand for this, but it probably would have been like 50 or 60 grand. Yeah. You know, wow. if everyone would have gotten paid, even just getting paid base scale, like not getting paid anything astronomical. Yeah. It would have still been probably 50 or 60 grand. So, wow. so but that's still like micro budget. That's still a small, oh, yeah. tiny budget for a film, you know. But the next film, no, we're gonna. I mean, we're hoping to get at least a hundred or hundred fifty grand for the next film to to make it. It's it's much more uh, grand, you know. There's a lot more grand ideas. I just kind of went for the shot for the sky for the the next one with the script, and hopefully we can get the budget for it. So what's we'll see. what's Sister Tempest gonna be about, or can you? Divulge? Oh yeah, 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 I can tell you, but it it won't make it <laughs> much sense. Kind of like trying to tell me about the guy inside my ear before I saw it. <laughs> I see a theme here. It's about a girl who um, her sister goes missing and um, her sister's boyfriend gets murdered. And this girl is transported onto a spaceship to then answer for what, for, for what is happening. Like be, be kind of, uh, uh, you know, questioned about her missing sister. Like what's exactly happening? And at the same time, um, this girl also gets a roommate who is wildly out of control. And and so when she gets transported on the spaceship, she's questioned about all of these happenings, you know. And so that's that's kind of like the very nutshell of, cool. what, of what the story is about. But there's a lot of crazy shit happening <laughs> in the movie. So... Awesome, man. Well, it, it's very David Lynch. It's very Jodorowsky. That's a Holy Mountain influence. So it's it's a weird film. So that's cool, man. Yeah. Well, so hopefully we'll make it. 
you know, hopefully next time I'm on, yeah. I'd say, hey, I finished the next film. And hopefully that's like in six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> not not going to happen. <laughs> so. Uh, so, so what is it that, uh, what makes you, so you, you want to start focusing, I know you, you still do a lot of art and stuff or is yeah. this film, filmmaking, like that's the road you're, you're, you're intending to yeah. keep going down. I mean, I'm still making art. I'm, you know, I sell out at the Frenchman art market. Um, my illustration work, I do like pop culture art. Um, and I still do that like five days a week out there. And so that pays the bills. But this is kind of like something, this has always been something I wanted to do is make movies, you know? So, I mean, even if I can just make another movie or two, I'd be happy. Honestly, I think after another two movies, I'll probably be so exhausted. Yeah. It's an exhausting process. You know, I don't blame If people. you're not rolling in the dough by that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing too. Like I do pretty well with, with my illustration work. I do well enough to where I don't feel the need to like create films that will like be like big blockbusters. So I'm creating things that I want to make and things I want to see. And those are not necessarily things that are like, you know, going to make millions of dollars. So, and that's fine as long as I can like sell it and, you know, like make my money back or just make a few bucks off it. I mean, I'll kind of be happy, you know? So. Well, cool, man. Well, you got uh, you got any closing thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, just check out the movie that's going to be coming out probably in three or four months online. You know, okay. probably be on Amazon and all that stuff. It's called The God Inside My Ear. And uh, and you can just follow me on Facebook. You just look at my name, Joe Badon, J-O-E-B-A-D-O-N. Um, you can check out the the movie's website, thegodinsidemyear.com, you know. And there's a few clips on there from the movie. There is, which, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a trailer and a few clips from the movie. And then once it's actually online for purchase, we'll we'll put a we'll put a link for that. Cool. We might be doing a Kickstarter for like a little uh, DIY theatrical distribution for the for the film. So oh, cool. just be on the lookout for that too. So yeah. Had, now now the version that I saw back in February has has. There been any? Is that the final version, or did y'all do anything else before? Little tiny okay. things, but not anything major. Cool. Like we had to change one song uh, because we couldn't get the rights to one song on the uh, on that, and um, some of the effects have been a little, yeah. little, little tightened up. Cool, but yeah, it's pretty much the same. Well, cool, Joe. It's always uh, good to talk with you, and Absolutely. I, I, I really, uh, I, I think you outstanding job on your first film man thank I mean, you uh, I appreciate it for somebody who's never done a film man i i, <laughs> I was like i i think joe's gonna do good but i was i was blown away by how how well it actually turned out man and thank you. Uh, i think uh man i hope i hope it works out for you on getting some funding for the next ones and uh appreciate it that's about it awesome thanks all right man <laughs> that concludes this edition of extra crispy and i want to wish all of you out there a happy thanksgiving you know as a pastor thanksgiving is one of the few non-religious holidays so it is one of the few holidays over the years that uh we do a little traveling on so i'm getting ready to hit the road here a couple of hours and go spend some time hanging out with family myself and i hope that all of y'all 
out there, whether you're getting together with family or not, eating turkey, watching football, that somehow, and all the chaos that is Thanksgiving and Black Friday and all the traveling and stuff, that you can actually have some moments to just really reflect on gratitude, man. I think that's one of my favorite things about this holiday. Just take some time to be thankful. So I hope you get some of those moments. So anyway, until next time, keep it extra crispy. Thanks for listening.